What is up, everybody? Welcome to a new week. Welcome back to Faded as always. Hope all is well. This week, we're going to do something a little differently. You've heard us mention our partners at WSCA FM Radio up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. They've been incredible. We've had such a blast getting to know them. Mark and team, uh, they've just really been taking a hold of this conversation in New Hampshire. And um, I know Mark is super passionate about finding resources for family members of loved ones who are struggling. Uh, if, if you are uh, learning up on uh, the history of resources in addiction and alcoholism, substance use, uh, there are not a ton of resources that are readily available um, or have been readily available for family members um, of those struggling to educate themselves. And part of our big guidance for all of you listening that are the family members or friends or close loved ones of um, folks that have this disease, we find it important um, to bring this message to you. We want to shed light for you and bring you education. That's the purpose of this podcast. Mark Lefebvre, uh, who you met in episode nine, he and his team at the radio um, have a great podcast series uh, that Faded has so wonderfully um, been able to be a part of. Uh, so they stream our episodes up there and we're going to in turn do the same for them. Uh, we're going to bring you uh, the start of the Thanks for Asking series, which is part of Mark's uh, brainchild and super exciting to be able to bring this to you. Again, the mission is to continue to shed light on the stories of family members, be able to really continue to bust this conversation wide open. So this week first episode that we will bring you that will sound very different from my voice because it is Mark that's hosting. Uh, we're excited to bring you Rebecca and the Thanks for Asking podcast, her story of uh, struggle and her insights from her own view. Um, really excited to bring this to you. You're going to hear the Thanks for Asking series every so often here in between our faded podcast episodes. Uh, would love to hear your feedback. Again, as always, to our partners up at WSCAFM, keep fighting the good fight. You're crushing it. We're so excited to be partnering with you. Uh, Mark, thanks as always, and we hope you enjoy the episode. is a podcast episode brought to you by your friends at WSCA 106.1 FM, Portsmouth Community Radio. For more information on how you could become a member, please visit us at www.wscafm.org forward slash support. Rebecca. Yesterday, I should say, I have the same DNA, but um, I continue, hopefully, to um, better my life, better myself through awareness, and um, 
stay open to what I'm supposed to be. I, um, well, first of all, I have 28 years sobriety, which I'm super proud of. It's, it's been a lot of work, um, but well worth it. And my mom was a drunk and it was a mess. And my mom got sober and, um, she changed. She, she, um, I remember, horrific. Welcome to episode one of the Thanks for Asking chapter of WSCA's Addiction and Recovery podcast series. This week, we hear from Rebecca, who lives in Kittery, Maine, and who shares her experience, strength, and hope as both a recovering alcoholic and as a family member dealing with loved ones also affected by alcoholism and addiction. So Rebecca, what was it like for you um, growing up in your household? At that time, my mom um, discovered Al-Anon, which, um, I didn't like too much. <laughs> I would get myself in pickles. And um, you, at that age, it was usually like with school, not doing assignments or, um, you know, misbehaving and staying out after curfew. And she held me accountable, which I was so mad. I was so mad. I'm like, I was also adopted. Um, at three months old. So it's really all I knew was um, my parents. Um, and as I got older and she would not enable me, I remember one um, conversation. It wasn't really a conversation, it was a yelling match. I was yelling at her and she was not, not helping me out like I wanted her to. Um, and I said, you adopted me. How could you just let me fail? And she said to me words that I have used many, many, many times with my own kids. I'm sure you'll figure it out. So, you know, she wasn't figuring it out for me, which I desperately wanted her to. And she also had faith that I would figure it out which um, the older I get, the more, um, more sense that makes. So um, fast forward, um, graduate high school. What am I gonna do in my life? Am I gonna get married? No, am I gonna join the service? No, might as well go, to, am I gonna get a job? No, I might as well go to college. So I went to college and um, that's when my drinking took off another level, I should say. And um, I was more interested in partying than going to class. So I withdrew 
before I was kicked out. And um, at that time, my roommate had was trying AA. And I again, now that poor girl, she's much worse than I am, much worse. Even though we bonded over Jack Daniels and John Denver, you know, we just we part we partied together and no real jackpots. I thought not withdrawing from college is a jackpot because I was in denial. I didn't know what was going on. I was young. I wasn't hurting anybody. And later on, it's except myself. Um, so I went, I was, um, I was, I was in a dance company. I've always um, been a dancer. Um, dancing lessons and I was in a company at college and I didn't drop out of that. It was really interesting. It was modern movement um, with Margaret Westcott. She's one of my angels. And um, she called me in her office one day and she said, Becky, what are you doing with your life? And wow. I said to her, honestly, I have no idea. So it's like, the window of clarity opens and the question was asked and I heard it and I was able to be honest. And she said, well, let's look for a school for you to go to. So I transferred to South Carolina and I uh, majored in dance education. And um, at that time I, I was more, um, I was more nervous that I wouldn't succeed rather than partaking in the partying. So that I put that like at bay for a little while. And I graduated and I toured with a company. And um, then I figured I was out of college and I was semi-successful in my own mind. And um, I started drinking again out of lack of what to do. Right. So one night, I, one night, yeah, you can always party somewhere. One night I was coming back from doing shots in Florence, South Carolina, and I rolled my car five times in a, in a cotton field. And I was um, very lucky, 58 stitches in the side of my head and no one was with me. And at that time, I thought so little of myself. I was more upset that I had tore a pair of jeans that I had put on layaway <laughs> and that my boyfriend at the time broke up with me because he didn't want to go out with a drunk. Right. Not paying attention to me, just moving quickly through life. And um, so, I was able to, um, I guess, recover. Oh, and also, so I was so flippant. I'm like, well, I guess I'll go as a mummy to all the parties at um, Halloween time because my head was bandaged up. Just totally in la-la land. Mm -hmm. um, but doing the best I could. On the outside, it looked well. On the outside, at that time, it didn't look too good. But usually, on the outside, it looked okay. So it must be okay. Mm 
Right. Um, fast forward. I um, I quit my um, quit my dance company that I was in to manage a bar. And um, at that time, it, the 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 booze was like making the choices for me. I just wanted a good time. Right. Um. And I and I was figuring it out, not very well, but I was mm -hmm. figuring it out, and um, I was doing things that I was I was hanging out with people I didn't really want to be with because I didn't want to be alone. Um, and if the money was coming in, then I was successful. Right. Um, so fast forward, I decided I was going to move home to Maine. And um, so I moved home and I um, got a waitressing job and I uh, was teaching a couple classes um, at the Seacoast Rep. And that's when I had my second car accident where I uh, hit a guardrail. And I had at that time, I called it the Bondo buggy, where I, uh, <laughs> it was full of Bondo or my silver bullet. Yeah. Like, like, like the beer, the silver bullet. Um, and I got a cinder block in the back of my head and I got um, stitches all over. Then I called my one friend and I said to her, Hey, can you pick me up from the hospital? I had a car accident. And she said, I will if you tell your mother. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. I had no choices. So at that time, I, I said, okay. And so she came and picked me up, and I told my mother. And my mother gave me the, the talk, the talk. You think it might be an alcoholic? And I said, no, I don't, because I really didn't want to be. And I wasn't slowing down enough to even think that I could be an alcoholic. I was just having a good time. I was young. Um, and she said, okay, well, do you mind if I have, um, a lawyer talk to you, a lawyer friends talk to you? And I said, sure. Lawyer friend. Ha ha. Hmm. That will get me out of this jackpot. Right. So there is a gentleman. He's since passed. Um, he went to my mother's house and we chatted and he said, again, the key phrase do you think it might be an alcoholic? And no, he said, hey, kid, do you think it might be an alcoholic? Right. And I said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, well, you're looking at jail time. Second D-Week. And I said, okay, what do I have to do? <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you go to these AA meetings and get some slip sign? Let's get a notebook and uh, listen, get it signed. And it looks better in front of the judge. So I said, okay, no problem. I'll get myself out of this jackpot by doing it. I know about AA. Um, so I went to, it's called the Kittery Original. And mm -hmm. I walked in, in crutches, on crutches, I should say. And um, stitches and bruises. And I sat in between two of my mom's friends that I knew. And they looked over at me. Of course, they knew what was going on. And um, they said, how you doing? And I said, good, you? So quick to come back. 
I look, I, I think of that, I think back to that time and I was good because I was comparing myself to how bad I could be. Right. I was not giving myself the benefit of the doubt that I could have a good life, a better life. Um, and at that meeting, I found, I heard that um, alcoholism is a disease. That there's nothing that you did totally took the pressure off. Right. Nothing that you did, nothing that anyone else did. But if you have it, you better treat it or else you're going to have a horrible life. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up in jails, institutions, or death. And remember, I wanted a good life. And um, that stuck. It totally took the pressure off. Um, so what was I going to do? Well, I didn't really have a lot going on at that time. <laughs> didn't have a car. So I was living in a studio apartment with my cat. And I rode my bike to um, different meetings. One, um, one night I had a, I didn't want to, uh, and oh, and I also worked two jobs because I had to keep busy so I wouldn't drink. And um, I said, coming back from my second job at a nursing home, um, I did activities there. I really didn't, it was snowing and I was riding my bike and um, I didn't want to go to this meeting. I was tired, kind of pissy. <laughs> And this feeling came over me, which I think, um, I think is my higher power, God, whatever, source. How bad do you want the life that's promised to you by AA? And I've always wanted a good life. And I never really knew what it looked like. I still don't. Um, so I got off my bike and I went in and I did the drill. Mm -hmm. And I've continued to do that. For how many um, years? 28. 28 years. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on that. So how did that lead into your relationship with, um, I guess, your husband? Right. Um, I, ex-husband. Ex-husband, <laughs> I'm sorry. Former husband. That's lots of growth. Former husband. You could probably edit that one. Okay. So when I was... Um, pretty new in program under a year um i saw this guy that i knew from high school and he looked so much better so much in a i saw him in aa so much clearer and um he had the zest of recovery which to me is so attractive um the zest you know it's like i don't know you you got the, it's, it's a buzz that is so awesome. So uplifting, just, just the vibrations are way up there. Um, and so one thing led to another and we got married and um, we have had, we had four children in five years. 
ending off with twins. And he continued to do his recovery. I continued to do my recovery. Um, I started a, because um, I had lots of kids at that time. I still have kids, but <laughs> different. Um, I started a meeting for mothers um, with children um, at the, what was it called? The Frank Jones Center in Portsmouth. Mm -hmm because I knew I needed to come to recovery and also go to meetings. Also, my mom was huge in this, this part, um, cause she was retired. And so we hung out a lot and, uh, not like codependent a lot, but you know, she would go to the meetings and help out with the kids. And, and, um, I never really brought my children to meetings because I would pay attention to them rather than pay attention to the meeting. Um, and that this is just my thing. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one, one day my, my ass was on fire. I was just in a bad space. It's not like I was going to drink, but I was just in a bad space. And I went to a meeting and it, it wasn't open for children. And there was this one woman that was in the parking lot. And she said, here, let me stroll your daughter around and you go in. So I got half a meeting and it was so nice. It was like community helping community, which, you know, I try to take that lesson and, and pass it on. Um, so fast forward, um, I was working in the school system. Um, he had um, a business. Um, we bought a hotel together, um, and life was going pretty good with all the toys outside and camps and vacations and competitive cheerleading for the girls, and, and um, it's really painful um, to go back there um, because what happened was um, he picked up after 24 years and um, I never in a million years thought that somebody that was I thought working a good program and doing all the so, right things yeah would I was baffled so when I get baffled I try to figure things out now, why did this happen? Looking back, um, you know, right brain, left brain. And um, I don't know what was going on with him. But for me, um, you never re totally recover that, that, um, that my disease is always with me. And I don't put anyone on um, a pedestal. I think there was a little pedestal thing going on for me um he was daddy um and he needed to get his shit together i guess more mm -hmm. and i couldn't do it for him um so from that time without going to much detail he left and the whole family crashed we were um 
I guess on, we were very happy from the outside mm -hmm. and pretty happy from the inside too. I mean, yeah, you have your issues, but the whole um, picking up rocked everyone. Um, so I'm talking about my feelings and not my specifics. Um, no, and that's, and that's appropriate. But I, what I'm struck by is your ability to balance at the time your need to work your program and at the same time set up safe boundaries for yourself and for your family so that you are all protected from, yes. you know, whatever impact might happen as a result of him relapsing. Right. Well, the interesting thing is that looking back, um, I was, it's funny how you go through life and you have these little snippets of pictures. And I remember standing at the hotel office um, at the front desk, looking at one of the workers. Um, and I said, um, I should want a drink now. I mean, this is, this is crazy. He threw me the keys to the hotel and um, I had no idea how to run a hotel. Um, but I didn't want to, which is mind-blowing mind to me that um, from me doing the drill, you know, working the steps at that time, um, I didn't want to pick up. I didn't know what I wanted to, but drinking wasn't an option. Right. Um, or drugging. Um, mm -hmm. So that was seven years ago, maybe eight, and we're divorced. And um, the hotel is gone. And my family home is gone. Um, and my kids are, have gone through lots of trauma. And um, I've gone through lots of trauma. And the thing that really helped me was um, staying connected with my sponsor. So funny, she says to me about a year ago, Jesus, Becky, you can't write this stuff. Because <laughs> it was like, guess what's next? And, you know, together we got through it or we're getting through it. Um, it's funny because it's not funny. It, it's awesome. She's one of the people that I sat in between when I first came to AA. So she's known me for a long time. She knew when I was active mm. and um, she's been through a lot and she can pass that on to me from her experience and where I come in is I have to ask for help. Um, and I do begrudgingly. How bad do I want that life that's promised to me? Mm -hmm. Always goes back to that. So can you talk a little bit without getting into specifics about the impact on your children? And sure. how, how and how you were able to um, be there for them while at the same time protecting your own recovery. Right. Well, I knew about Al-Anon even when I was married. If if 
anyone pissed me off, I would they pissed me off. If they, yeah, if anyone pissed me off, then I would pull out an Al Anon book. And I would read and I would feel better. But man, when that Al Anon book was pulled out, everyone knew, uh oh, something's going on with mom. Because I was kind of um, just pat pattern pattering what my mother had done. I knew there was something there um, that would help me. I didn't want to really go to Al-Anon because uh, I was already going to AA, but it was explained to me that, you know, Al-Anon is about relationships. It's about dealing with people and, um, you know, coming from an, um, I guess I'm an adult, adult child of an alcoholic. Here's another meeting I could go to if it got so bad. Um, so I tried Al-Anon a little bit. At that time, um, I was a single parent when he left. And I was wounded. We all were wounded. Um, we had we were experiencing a different lifestyle than we were used to. Um, Take your time. It was really hard. So my oldest daughter was um, in college. And so I had three kids living at home. And um, my oldest son, I think he was the first that started becoming um, active in partaking and partying. And um, I hated it. He would come home all messed up and uh, I didn't know what to do. So I went to AA and I really didn't tell anyone too much what was going on because I didn't want, I didn't want, um, I didn't want pity from people because already it was very public about what had happened in the marriage. And, um, part of my character defects that I've learned is I'm, I'm really private and I, I, I want, I still want the outside to look okay, even no matter what's going on with the inside. And, um, so I internalized a whole bunch of what was going on. And then my second, well, then, then everyone started partying, to be honest with you. Um, I hated it. Oh, I hated it. And I would, I would have this ritual and I would be driving over a bridge, like I'd find a bong and I would be driving over a bridge and I would, this probably I'm going to get in trouble for, but anyways, I would cascade the bong over the bridge <laughs> as like a ceremony. 
um, probably an amends I'm going to have to do cleaning up the shores or something on that one. But um, I just wanted it gone. Um, what troubled you the most? Was it the concern over your kids' well-being that they would fall into a lifestyle that was less than what you think their potential was? Was it the shame? Uh, did it bring you back to your own situation? Well, it was kind of tricky because I loved to party. And I would tell them that. You know, when I was your age, I really loved to party too. But I'm in recovery. And so don't do it in my house. Um, that was like the basis. Yeah, and they it's, back, it's back to the boundaries. It's back to the boundaries that you were talking about earlier. They never paid attention, really. Um, I had a, a boyfriend at the time that um, was there with me. So I had like united forces. Um, but he was at wit's end as well. Um, it's just a whole bunch of, of um, bad behavior due to alcohol and drugs and trauma in a nutshell. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you, what about, did you feel as though there was stigma associated with uh, the fact that um, you had a family that was kind of in the midst of this active partying and so forth, and also the stigma of your divorce or the stigma of losing the business. How did you deal with that? Well, there was no, <laughs> there was no choice because the cops were involved about the stigma. Everyone knew. Mm. Um, my, one of my kids went to his first rehab at 14 he was either going to go to juvie for not anything major, but he got caught at everything he did. Um, or he had to go to rehab. So he went to his first rehab at um, 14. And um, I remember feeling, boy, it's good that um, he's there because I don't have to worry about him. And I went to some groups with the, with the people in, um, in the rehab, the parents. And we were all really afraid about what's going to happen. And um, I got a sense of community with those other people. Um, you know, at this time, the jig was up. I... <laughs> I had, um, I was on survival, really. And, you know, I would lie to the cops where this kid was and because I wanted to keep him safe out of jail. And so he got his first taste of recovery at 14. Um, and then he, got out and he was doing program you know a young kid doing aa meetings and he had a sponsor and and um i was happy i'm like oh thank god that I'm, I'm i'm past that all roses and unicorns or whatever and and um then he picked up again. 
I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, this is a kid. Kids have it hard. It's hard being a kid. Um, and I remember <laughs> he was home, wouldn't get out of bed. I had all the ideas. He needs to go back to a rehab. I was the mama bear planning everything so everything would be okay. Not inviting God into the whole, the whole um, equation because I was mama bear and just get out of my way. Um, and I, so I had a rehab on the phone and he wouldn't talk to him. He was laying in bed. I can picture it. He was laying in bed. And I didn't know what to do. So very calmly, I, and I think there were a couple other people around. I looked at the people and I said, I'm going to the pavilion. <laughs> Not that I was going to off myself or anything, but I had run out of, a, of solutions. I had no idea what to do. I wanted to protect my kid. I wanted to protect the world. And I did not know what to do. Well, the easy so, solution would have been to enable and solve things and so forth. And it sounds like that you were not quite willing to go there. You wanted him to take ownership of his own situation. Was that, is that a fair assessment? Oh, no. I wanted to solve everything at that time. I wanted to make him go to rehab. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't talk to the person. So, like I said, I wasn't going to kill myself or anything, but I, I was at the end of my rope. So, they checked me in, and... Um, that's when I found out about codependency. Wow. Why didn't I know about this? I was at the end of my rope. And I was taught about codependency. That the whole thing is if this person is okay, then I must be okay. Right. And... I cried. I cried so much because all my old coping skills were obsolete. I had to learn something new and I didn't want to. But again, how bad do I want a good life? So um, I had a counselor. I was only there for a, a couple days. And um, so I was let out, let out. My daughter picked me up. And um, so I had, I had a new thing to learn. And so, <clears throat> you know, I talked to a lot of people about what's going on in life and whatnot. And, and I was told that codependency is as dangerous as the um, addiction itself. That's huge. That's so huge to me. Even though you're not taking the chemical, it's the mental part that really will bring you down. You're trying to fill a hole within yourself with the well-being of others? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's huge. And just to have the words that you just said puts weight onto it. That even though my life is in disarray, I can be okay. Sometimes just for a moment at a time. So fast forward, I read a book, I read lots of books. Um, talking to my sponsor, she's like, well, yeah, Becky, we all are. Um, but to have the awareness that I can be okay when life is in chaos is su it's, it's, it's like the brass ring. How long did it take you to get to that point? I mean, you said you checked into the pavilion. And again, I want to commend you for listening and taking care of yourself among all of this chaos and all of this difficult uh, emotional trauma. You chose to take care of yourself. And through that experience, it sounds like that you came to this epiphany, which means knowledge is power. Absolutely. And I wasn't alone. I wasn't the person feeling this way. Which, you know, when, when, when I feel like I'm by myself in this hell, it's not a good place to be. Mm. But there's a solution. I always, no matter what I'm going through, I look for the solution. Because I believe that there's reasons for everything happening. Like the, there's reasons for what I've been through so I can help another alcoholic, help another person. When it's really bad, I really concentrate. Well, maybe I can help someone with this because <laughs> it's certainly un uncomfortable right now. Um, but since then, um, I went on vacation. I went on vacation a couple years ago um, to uh, it's called the area roundup um, in at Sugarloaf Mountain, and I um, and I left my home with my kids home, which I really didn't do because I felt like I had to police them, police the house. And that weekend, of course, there was a knockout drag out party, like they moved the furniture, like I used to do. And um, my, after that, it was, it was also my birthday. And um, I came home and my son, my oldest son says to me, um, you know, I think I might have a drinking problem. I'm like, oh, really? And... Um, My boyfriend at the time, at the time um, went and got him a big book. He was also in recovery. Went and got him a big book. And my son said, thank you. And I really feel like 
he gave him a lifeline. Um, because all the answers are there. Um, and it's been so exciting to watch this young man take a hold of recovery. And he wouldn't have done it if I had stayed home and policed the house, which is so mind boggling. It's not about gripping it, gripping everything. It's about letting go, which is crazy. It goes against every thing I thought I knew. Um, and I guess you let go to let God source higher power in and let them do their mojo, um, which is beautiful. I am, I have, um, I'm not in charge of all these people, which I hate. To be honest with you, I really hate that. I really hate that. But again, how bad do I want the life? I want a good, simple life. I mean, that's all I want. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. So first of all, your story is absolutely riveting. Um, you know, it's been my experience that um, it is often said that putting a spotlight or putting the sunshine on a difficult situation can take away its power. What could you offer as advice and guidance to other family members who may be dealing with the stigma of having a family member in active addiction? You're not alone. You're not alone. And, you know, addiction has no boundaries. It kind of helps, I mean, in a, in, <laughs> in a weird way, it kind of helps that movie stars have, are addicts as well. Role models. Absolutely. I mean, I went to this meeting out in California and I saw like my favorite soap opera figure at this meeting. And I walked up, oh, hi, how are you? And for me, if I start, well, God gave me no, chan no chance to keep it private with my family. Um, and if I start feeling, oof, the little squirrely about the way things are going, it's my ego. It's all my ego. My ego keeps me away from my higher power. My ego keeps me away from helping others. If I think I know what things should happen, you are not alone. And there are ways to deal with this addiction. Um, my primary purpose is to stay sober and help another alcoholic or anyone. And that's enough for me. I hope it's enough for a lot of people. And you don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict. I say alcoholic because it's just easier for me. Um, 
there's a whole lot of pain in the world. And um, I'm not in charge of that. But I hopefully I can help with the solution. What the solution may be, I don't know. I think it's fantastic that you're, you have this um, show. Because um, it reaches out to people and lets people know that they're not alone. And who knows, you know, maybe you'll make a friend. Maybe you'll make a friend that's going through the same thing. Safety in numbers. Thank you very much, uh, Rebecca. I don't, I don't know you well enough to call you Becky, but your story <laughs> is inspiring. And um, for the benefit of anybody who's listening to this podcast, I think you've provided a tremendous service um, in terms of your message of you're not alone and your message of um, you don't have to be the person who is in charge of the well-being of another person at the expense of your own well-being, you know, the definition of codependency. So um, I want to thank you very much for your sharing today, and I wish you uh, continued luck and success in your own journey and your own recovery. My pleasure. Have a great day. This concludes this podcast episode brought to you by your friends at WSCA 106.1 FM, Portsmouth Community Radio. For more information, please visit us at www.wscafm.org.